have your Bibles with you this morning and you want to turn there, you'll be taking some scripture out of the book of Isaiah in chapter 53. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I think everybody is wrapped up in in one way or another um, is about cost. You know that often we, we've heard it, everybody that's been to church on a regular basis in their life has heard a, a minister get up and begin to preach and then when the altar call time comes, you know, those that don't cut and run but actually hang in, they'll begin to tell them, you've got to count up the cost. You've got to look at what it's going to cost you and once you count up that cost then you'll make the decision. And I remember doing that. I remember counting up that cost. And I remember thinking about all that I would have to give up in order to receive salvation. But you know, the thing that's really heavy on my heart right now was the cost of Jesus Christ to secure that salvation. And the cost that we caused Him. You see that what I imagine is that when He was on that cross, He took all my sin. That's what the Scripture plainly says. He took my sin upon Him. But it wasn't just Brother Jeremiah's sin, it was all of your sin too. Everything that you've ever done or ever will do. And that got me to thinking about the last time that my dad had to whip me. And it was one of those that I reckon that even if I, I was to get Alzheimer's at some point in the future, I'd probably remember that. I remember that day. It was a day of reckoning in my life that I was in the eighth grade. I was 13 years old. I uh, finally at long last shed the look of a little boy and it began to resemble more of at least somebody in adolescence. And Dad had told me, he said, Son, you come dragging in bad grades again. And he said, I'm going to bust your honey in. And he had a two by four, a little short piece of a two by four. And he said, and this right here is what I'll use. And he leaned it up there. And it sat there for six whole weeks of school. And apparently I didn't take him seriously. Because I, other things distracted me. And I remember that when the, the report card came, and I seen it well before he did, I knew what was going to happen. And the sense of dread that I had on me for paying that price. Because I knew, because he told me, he said, and this, this will be one you'll remember when you're old and gray, son. He said, I'll, I'll, you'll not make a liar out of me. I knew what was waiting on me at home. A man on the way home, now I become a praying 13-year-old. I was prayed up by the time I got there, hoping, well, maybe Dad will forget. Maybe he won't be home when I get home. He was there, and he knew that it was report card day. My two older brothers rather gleefully announced before I even showed him my report card of what my grades were, and they were dismal. And I handed it to him, and he said, well, you know what this means. And I remember that I'd made up my mind that whenever that I got there and whenever the reckoning came, that now I needed to quit myself like a man. Quit acting like a little boy. You know, a little boy, any, any little boy knows, man, the sooner you get crying, hopefully they'll quit whipping sooner. Anybody that's ever been whipped before, they know that. You start crying really before the limb or the belt or whatever hits you. And I know some people, you know, in other parts of the country just be aghast. He whipped you with a two by four? Yeah, and I deserved it. I'm still here and I'm perfectly fine. But I remember that I made up my mind in that moment that I was going to take it like a man. I was 
going to take my punishment. I knew what the punishment was going to be. I have broken the rules and here's what it was. And I was going to take it like a man. And I remember that uh, right there in the living room and I put my hands on the armchair. And he proceeded to discipline me. And I remember that the first hit just about took my life or that's the way it felt. That it hurt so bad. It was the kind of pain that really I'd never experienced to that point in my life. They're the kind that makes you shake all over uncontrollably. And how bad did it hurt? And I thought, okay, I, I did that one. And he hit me again. And the same deal. And I shook all over. And several more licks come and tell that they just kind of blended together. Me sitting there with every fiber of my being, willing myself not to cry like a little kid, but to take it like a man. Unbeknownst to me, was that my dad was waiting for me to start crying. Years later, I found out, not from him, but from my mother telling me about it, that he was astonished that I wasn't crying and thought that he just wasn't doing it good enough. And so there was a battle of wheels there. And then, the last lick... I asked him to please stop. I couldn't take it. I didn't know this for years. Mom told me when he walked away with tears in his eyes. And he'd seen how much that he was hurting me. And how much it hurt him to hurt me. And there was a cost to that, and I paid it. It was my fault. And I imagined that in thinking about the cost to Jesus Christ for my salvation, because Brother Sam, he took my sins. He took my weapon. He volunteered for it. That you know, if you were to turn into the book of Isaiah in chapter 9, and read there, I believe it's about verse 6, that it says that the government would be upon his shoulders. Says that a child was born to us and said they call him wonderful. Counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. My reading that, you'd say, sign me up for being that guy. I want to be the guy that's called wonderful and counselor and mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. But then you fast forward into Isaiah chapter 53 and you might change your mind about wanting to be the Messiah. Because at that point it begins to describe what that he goes through. And you see what I see uh, uh, when it comes to counting the cost uh, is whatever salvation cost you uh, pales by comparison to what it cost Jesus Christ to hang there on that cross uh, and to die in your place. Uh, uh, because it says uh, that the one time in human history God did not withhold His wrath. And I can tell you that when wrath gets poured out, uh, uh, it is painful. Uh, uh, that salvation is a very messy and a very bloody business. Uh, but all the mess was on Christ. Uh, and all of the blood that was shed was His. So that you wouldn't have to. You see, I think about if I were to get punished for every sin that I've ever committed in one moment of time. It would kill me. That one whipping just about did me in that I just described for you. And I'd gotten others prior to that. 
That was the last time that dad ever had to whip me. That was the last time that he ever had to discipline me like that. And he had to get on to me at points later in life, but now that was the last one. And I remember how that it was that as I started getting older, that it wasn't for fear of the punishment, but rather it was for fear of upsetting him, of disrespecting him and bringing shame to dad. And you see, that's the way that a Christian must grow, is to go from fear of being punished to fear of falling short of God. Of causing more hurt to Christ. Because what it describes here in Isaiah 53, and we'll start reading in just a second, is it describes that God, when it began to be time to pour out His wrath, though it was His beloved only Son hanging there on the cross, He did not hold back. He poured out wrath so that He wouldn't have to pour it out on you. It was a high cost that Jesus gladly paid. Because here's the thing, Jesus knew this word better than anybody else. It wasn't as though that they said, now we need somebody to go down into heaven and to be, or go down to earth from heaven and to be born of a virgin. Okay, it's fine with me. Uh, and now there won't be room for you at the end. You'll have to be in a manger. I'm okay with that. They said, but now they'll call you wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace. You'll touch blind eyes. You'll hear, de- you'll hear deaf ears. Uh, you'll touch lame legs and you'll do all these things. And him say, okay, yeah, that's fine. And then when he gets down here, they say, oh, by the way, there's this hill called Calvary. And on that hill, you're going to suffer. You're going to bleed. You're going to die. You say, well, wait a minute now. I didn't sign up for that. He signed up knowing Isaiah 53 just as well as he did when he knew Isaiah 9. He signed up. He came into this world. And this only gives a glimpse. Psalm 22 only gives a glimpse. The Passion of the Christ, the movie that Mel Gibson made years ago, only gives a glimpse to the agony that he went through because, think about it in this regard, not just for you and me, but because of you and me. He suffered because of you because of me. Every time that you've ever lashed out in anger, He bore the pain and the price of that. Every time that you told a lie, He took the whipping. Every time that you broke one of the laws of God, Jesus Christ was beaten for it. It says in verse 6, we'll start reading in Isaiah 53. It says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. But Isaiah is saying we've every one messed up. And he's the one that pays the price. Verse 7 says he was oppressed. He was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is done. So he openeth not his mouth. He bore it silently. He didn't revile them, didn't threaten them, but he just took it. It says in verse 8, he was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people. Was he stricken every hit, every time 
that he was beaten. It's my fault. I want you to think that when you read Isaiah 53, know that it's your fault. Just like it's my fault. And it says in verse 9, And he made his grave with the wicked. Jesus Christ made His grave not with the righteous, but with the wicked. When Jesus died, think about this for a second, He didn't go to heaven. It says that He went to hell. He went down into hell and He took the keys. He took the power that man had readily vacated to the devil and Jesus took it back. Uh, you may say, how long does it take to secure salvation? It took about three days. That he walked into hell. He walked in with authority. He didn't knock on the door. He kicked it open. That when he come in there, there was no fight. He walked over, held out his hand and said, Give him back. The law has been satisfied and you no longer have the dominion because I have taken it back for man's sake. And salvation was secured and assured. Because here's the thing. And this is something I grappled with for several years actually. Until the Lord, I guess I got mature enough. I thought about it in the crucifixion. You know, it talks about that when the time came and they were going to break their legs because they didn't want them hanging there for the rest of the day. It says that they got to Jesus and they were astonished that He was already dead. And I remember thinking within myself, even as a minister, thinking, was that a cop-out? Was God taking it easy on Him? Did God say, well, you know, poor little fella, don't want him to have to suffer like this. And so He allowed him to die. But it was through God's Word that God showed me the truth. It was, there's not an insufficiency in God or in His Word where, where the shortfalling was where I was at. Just think with me. What is the only thing that brings forth death? Sin. Sin is what brings forth death. Did Jesus Christ... Live a sinless life in this world. Yes. If He didn't, He wasn't the acceptable sacrifice. He was examined by the high priest. Every time they questioned Him, every time they tried to trap Him, they were looking at the lamb. It's in the old law that when you would bring the sacrificial lamb, they would take it and look under its eyelids, look at the whites of its eyes, and examine it from nose to tail. And they did the same thing with Jesus. And they couldn't find any fault with Him. So He lived a sinless life. Then the question becomes, how then did He even die? He had no sin. He shouldn't have been able to die. He died because of your sin. And because of my sin. And think about, if He got punished just for my sin in that moment, He wouldn't have lasted long. But it wasn't just my sin. It was the sin of Adolf Hitler. The sin of Joseph Stalin. Charles Manson. Jeffrey Dahmer. Some of the most nefarious people you can think of in history. If he only died because of their sins, he wouldn't have lasted very long. And then what the Lord showed me was that not only was it amazing, but it was amazing that he lasted as long as what he did. That speaks to how righteous and how pure that he was. 
Because let's face it, any time that we get upset in society uh, and we look at a wrong that happens, we say, they could have done nothing to deserve that. Just like a little kid, a baby. We are most offended whenever somebody does something to a baby. Why? Because they couldn't have possibly brought that on themselves. They're innocent. Jesus is more innocent than a newborn baby. He was hanging on that cross. That what He took on our behalf was the destruction that we purchased for ourselves with our own sin. Our own decisions. The thing that should impel every one of us as a Christian to not sin. To strive for that perfect day even knowing that you're going to fall short. Should be that you don't want Him to have to hurt any further than what He already has. You know, a lot of people have asked the question, well, how is it that the blood of Christ... You know, because people, and I've heard this preached a lot, and I believe it. They say that the blood of Christ reached back into the past and saved people like Abraham and King David and all those, you know, the history, uh, the heroes of the faith. And a lot of people say, how can that be? You know how it can be the same way that it reached forward into the future and saved a man like me? The same way because that I believed on Jesus Christ. I believed on Him after the fact. They believed on Him before He ever came down into this world. And I can tell you why is the resurrection so important. Because if you can't believe the resurrection, it doesn't matter whatever else you believe. Because if you can't believe in the resurrection, you are hell-bound. Because I've heard people say, well, you know, that New Testament, is, it's awful good, and I like it, but now some of that stuff in that Old Testament is kind of hard to swallow. I asked a person telling me that, I said, like what? Well, I can't flood. whole world flooding. And I'm like, really? That's hard for you to believe? Well, yeah. What's everybody running around worried about right now? Global warming. Say, well, the polar ice caps melt, the whole sea level will rise and cause a worldwide flood. Hmm. Everybody swallows that pill readily. For some reason, a great flood because of God breaking up the waters of the deep. Now, that's a little far-fetched. But let's think about it in this regard. And what I told this person is I said, I've seen a flood. Living on Dillon Branch Road, you'll see a flood occasionally. I had to miss church a few weeks ago because of a flood. I've seen lots of floods. I've never seen anybody raised from the dead. I've never beheld it with my eyes. A person that was beaten and bloodied and marred and hanged on a cross and then laid in a tomb for three days and then rose again on the third day. If I can believe that happened, a flood is easy. We must believe that Jesus Christ raised from the dead because if we don't believe that, it doesn't matter whether we agree with the Sermon on the Mount. It doesn't matter if we're amillennial, postmillennial, or whatever other title that you want to put. It doesn't matter if you say that Revelation is literal or if it's symbolic, if it's both, if it's neither. None of that matters if you don't believe upon the resurrected Jesus Christ because you can believe it and still go to hell. And if you believe about a millennial or post-millennial. But if you believe that Jesus Christ raised from the dead on the third day, just exactly as He predicted it. He said, this is what's going to happen. All the while, 
He told His disciples, they're going to come, they're going to get Me, they're going to take Me and crucify Me, and then on the third day, I'm going to raise up. And it happened just exactly like that. What did it cost? It cost Him everything. You think about that. It cost Jesus everything. Heaven was bankrupted. Because of us. You ever mess up and somebody else have to pay the price for it? I have. When I was a boy, we had a couch there with cushion. There was always a gap between the chair arm and the cushion. And for some reason, I, it, it's held true with me too, but wherever Dad sits, that's where all the kids want to sit too, especially when he's not there. It was the same in my house when I was a kid, same with my kids. And I put a glass cup in that gap between the chair arm and the cushion and left it there. And that same dad that I told you about to tan my hide years after this, he sat down and that cup busted. A piece of glass about that long went into his leg, hubbed it up. Yeah, I got whipped for that too. And I remember when I seen the blood coming out of him and how hurt I was because I made the mistake, but he paid the price. Think about it with Jesus Christ. You may say, did it really cost him everything? Yes. Think about it this way. One of the number one fears for most people, not all, but most, is public speaking, doing what I'm doing right now. That people, there are lots of people in this world that fear that more than they fear death. Why? Because you're exposed. Is my shirt buttoned up right? Is my fly zipped? Are my shoes tied? Is my hair messed up? Everybody's looking at you. It's terrifying. When Jesus was hanged on that cross, they stripped him naked. So it cost him his dignity. What little bit he owned, they took from him. Cost him his pride. That's a small price to pay, though. They took his clothes. They decided to gamble for our Lord's garment. They took him and didn't clothe him in purple. They clothed him in scarlet. He was humiliated. They said, well, this king's got to have a crown. King of the Jews. Roman guards were especially known for being cruel. They took thorns and made him a crown. And they jobbed it on his head. And they didn't lightly place it there. They didn't want it to fall off. And so they jammed it onto his skull. I had an encounter with thorns earlier this week. It hurt. It but I had choice in the matter. When they beat him, they beat him to where that he was unrecognizable. What did it cost him? It cost him everything. And the thing was, is in the midst, in the midst of all of that, while his bones are out of joint, while he's hungry and tired, Hurting all over. 
But he held on. Because about six years ago, Easter Sunday was approaching, and I was really thinking, Lord, make this more real to me than it had ever been. And I asked the Lord to, to show me, to reveal something to me. And I was at the time working out a lot and everything, in a lot better shape than what I am now. And I was down there in my little weight room and I was working out and the Lord said, all right. I was meditating on the things of the Lord and, I was, and the Lord spoke to me in that instance, impressed it upon me. No, it wasn't an audible voice, but He impressed it upon me. And there was a chin-up bar there and He said, just grab that bar and hold on. I thought, okay. So I grabbed that bar. And I'd been using that bar to do chin-ups and things like that and everything. And I, I held on. And I remember in just a few short seconds that seemed like an eternity, my shoulders started to ache. In just a few moments more, my breathing became so labored. While I was hanging there and the muscles in me began to shake Sweat began to pour down my face. And all the while, it was as though the Lord was saying, just hang on. All you got to do is just hang on. And I held on. And as time went by, and I have no idea what length of time it was, that these muscles in my forearms began to hurt. And I was breathing like I had just sprinted a mile. And I was hanging on. And it was as though that the Lord was just saying, just hang on. So all you got to do is to keep hanging on. And I hung there. And seconds ticked by and sweat poured down me. And I had the will, the desire to hang on. But my hands and the muscles in my hands and my forearms just failed me. And I let loose. And I fell to the floor and I wept because when I hit the floor, the Lord told me, He said, My son did that until he died. And then I knew what Jesus did for me. He could have gotten down off of that cross at any time. He'd already told Peter, Peter, put your sword up. If I wanted to be, if I wanted to fight, there wouldn't be much of a fight. I'd call down a legion of angels and clean this place out. But there was a cup laid out, a bitter cup, and he had to drink it. And he didn't shy away from it. They didn't call him wonderful in that moment. But my, how wonderful he was. That he didn't hide, he could have run away. They didn't even know what he looked like when they came to get him. And he told them, who are you looking for? He said, I'm he. And whenever that they smacked him, whenever they spit in his face and pulled out hands full of his beard, whenever they drove the nails in him, that at any moment he could have said, nope, no, no, this isn't worth it. I'm not doing this. You ever done that? You ever get in the middle of something and realize the cost is too great? In business, they call that cutting your losses. But Paul summed it up best. when He said that Christ commanded His love toward us that while we were yet sinners, He died for us. If he had cut his losses, there would be no hope. We would be making a pretense that what he did on that day was the zenith 
of the power of God. In the Old Testament, it was the crossing of the Red Sea. They talked about that continually. He was the God that parted the Red Sea. For the New Testament, though, He was the one who died and yet is alive and is alive forevermore. That's what He told John when John encountered Him there in the book of the Revelation. John didn't hardly recognize Him. But Jesus told him, I am He that was dead and yet I am alive and alive forevermore. And a sister Mary Ann sung that because He lives, you can live. Because he lives. This life is not the end. Merely the beginning. So the next time that you wonder if salvation is worth it, hold up your list of problems against what Jesus paid. And I think you'll find it's well worth it. Because sin is said that it will take you further than what you want to go, keep you longer than what you want to stay and cost you more than you'll want to pay. You see, God set out rules for sin. Said that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. Anybody that's ever played a game with a little kid knows they'll make the rules up as they go along. And they'll always make the rules to where they favor them. God didn't do that. God made the rules and then His own Son had to satisfy them. The law had to be satisfied. Jesus told him, He said, you think I've come to do away with the law? He said, I've come to dot the I's, cross the T's, and satisfy it completely. And when He hung there on a cross on Calvary, and it says that cursed is a man which is hanged on a tree, that Jesus Christ was cursed with our sin, but the law was satisfied. Because there's something else coming after this life that's spoken of in the book of the Revelation. And I don't believe it is just merely symbolic, but it is absolute. It's called the great white throne judgment. And it says that all stand before Him. Every single one. It doesn't say only the lost. But lost and saved alike. The lost will stand before Him. And they'll look. And they'll say, but I didn't do anything. And you'll say, it's exactly right. You didn't claim the blood. You didn't do anything. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. I never knew you. And then, he'll look at him and he'll say, the Lord will look at him and say, not my will, but thine. But you see, when we stand there with Christ, Christ will produce paperwork. He says, look, this bill's paid. Tatalesti. Oh my, what a wonderful word that we don't ever use anymore other than at church. Tatalesti was the Latin word which they would write across somebody's prison sentence once they'd served their term. What it meant was paid in full. No longer can they be persecuted or held to account for that crime. If somebody walked up and tried to accuse you of that same crime, you could produce a paper and scrawled across it would be tatalesti, meaning paid in full. I believe that whenever they bring up every time that I've gotten mad and done something I'm not supposed to do, every time that these eyes beheld something they're not supposed to see, that the record will be brought up and it will be blotted out with blood and the blood will spell out Tatalesti. It's finished. Because Jesus Christ satisfied the law. You think about the most pain you've ever been in in your life. It pales by comparison to what Jesus paid. The cost 
It cost him every possible thing it could. It cost him his dignity. It cost him so much in pain. It cost him every drop of his blood. You know, people try to say, well, maybe he just passed out on the cross and then revived after three days. That is one of the most foolish things I've ever heard in my life. How could a person, having been beaten almost to death, then hanged on a cross, and apparently died, and then laid in a tomb with no medical attention, no food, no water for three days, and suddenly come back? I'm telling you, whoever come up with that one definitely believes in miracles. I can tell you this, though. What happened was that that body was broken. And it was laid there in defeat. And it was in the like manner that was waiting on every one of us. To be broken and to lay down in defeat. But on the third day what happened was that death began to lose its hold. Because what happened when you try to attach sin to Jesus Christ. You can go home and try this if you want to. It's like trying to get a bar of soap dirty. It just won't stick. He did away with the sin of the world because He was perfect and He did it in the flesh. You see, because if He couldn't do it in the flesh, it really wouldn't mean a whole lot to you or I. What happened, what we're celebrating today is not the death of Jesus Christ, but the resurrection where that He came out of that tomb, the stone was rolled away. The wicked and adulterous generation, they asked Him for a sign. And He told them, you'll be given a sign. He said, just as Jonah was in the belly of a well for three days, so shall the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth for three days. That is the sign. And you know what the wicked and adulterous generation does? They look at it and they scoff. Paul described it as foolishness to them that perish. But I'll tell you this. If I know nothing else among you, I would have you know that Jesus Christ is alive and alive forevermore. That He died, He did indeed die, and then He raised on the third day. Because if you can believe that, you'll get everything else right along with it. But the next time that you're tempted, the next time that being a Christian seems to be costly to you, maybe throw your Bible open to Isaiah 53 and look at what it cost Him. Because verse 10, I want you to notice what it says. It says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. It pleased God. Why? Because it saved us. God loves us. But God is a just God. You know, everybody loves to talk about God's mercy. And I love to talk about God's mercy. But when this life is over, we stand before a just God. Mercy stops. And once we stand before the just God, justice must be satisfied. Justice demands that if you have broken the law, you are to be punished for it unless that it's already been prepaid and Christ has paid it all for us. Let's everyone stand and get a song.